Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to 2020, even though technically I welcomed you last week, but you are listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast in the year 2020. It's just so weird to say that. And also, sign your checks 2020 if you still write checks. I know it sounds weird, but um, yeah, because I guess uh, people who commit fraud can uh, just write, you know, like 20 and then add another year onto there, like 2019 or something. So anyways, just a little helpful tip that I saw out there on the internets. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. We are doing the damn thing again, like we always do. This is just, uh, it, it's, it continually blows my mind how much of a life this podcast has gotten, the legs it's gotten, how long I've been able to do it. And I just want to thank you, the listener, for supporting the show, as you always do, by downloading this, telling your friends, and leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts and all the other fun stuff. So I just really appreciate that. And the guest this week is Ben Cook from No Warning is his sort of solo project. Well, it's not sort of, it is a solo project, Young Gov, and he also plays in Fucked Up. He is a very prolific and uh, interesting musician who has dabbled in so many different things in his life. And uh, yeah, he's just a creative individual. And when the opportunity came to have him on the show, I was like, heck yeah, I would love to have Ben. So uh, we talk about so many fun things. And uh, yeah, that's what we're going to do in a minute. But first of all, you need to go support the show even further, okay? Please just go on your favorite podcast catcher, listener, and give some reviews because that uh, just helps in the visibility. It doesn't really help on like charts or any other weird stuff, but you know, when you uh, give good reviews, uh, more people trust the thing. So please do that. And you can also email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Always love to hear guest ideas and anything else, feedback you have on shows because some, sometimes, uh, you know, I put out an episode and I don't get any emails. I'm like, well, that, that one didn't go very well. <laughs> or, Maybe you really liked it and you just, you know, were afraid to reach out, but don't be afraid to reach out. I love talking to you. But um, yeah, so that's what we got. Uh, how am I doing? Thank you for asking. I'm doing well. Uh, the new year is upon us and we're back into the, the swing of things and the routine and school and work and all that other stuff. And tell me this, I was, was thinking about this this morning, compartmentalization, you know, I have always found myself being really good at that. Like, you know, certain areas of my life don't affect me in ways that, or affect me in area, other areas of my life. But now, on the precipice of all of these things that are happening in the world, from like, you know, Australia burning up to, you know, the United States being on the verge of World War III, I, I, I laugh because, like, I don't know what else to do there. But I just am having a more difficult time being able to kind of parse these things out and be able to like not let them affect my sort of day-to-day thought process or like, oh man, I, I shouldn't be concerned about this or I don't know. But is that a, a symptom of aging? Like, are you able to do that better when you're younger and you just maybe don't care about as much? I don't know. Tell me because I, I was I was thinking about that and I'm just having a difficult time as I get older. Um, so yeah. Email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear your feedback or thoughts. Or if you notice that in yourself, or you're like, no, Ray, you're just uh, you're just a weirdo, and I'm able to compartmentalize still. So anyways, uh, Ben, just just great guest. I mean, he, child actor, we were able to dive into that because he did a lot of uh, acting when he was a young young kiddo and commercials and television shows and all that stuff. And then, um, yeah, he's just a, a great musician as well. 
has been able to do some great stuff with no warning. And then young gov is awesome. And all the stuff with fucked up. I'm a, a super fan of fucked up and, uh, yeah, just love to have him on the show. So this is what we got. He recorded it in his car. He was kind enough to just like, you know, sit in his car on the, <laughs> the Toronto streets. And actually at one point, a homeless person came up and solicited some, uh, cash from him, which I edited out of the episode, but, uh, he was kind and he gave that person, uh, $2. So there we go. Uh, a loony and a toonie or two toonie or wait, one toonie and two loonies. I think that's, that's the proper Canadian, uh, the Canadian fund verbiage. But anyways, here's Ben. And I will of course talk to you as the episode is over. And um, I, I'm fairly certain that uh, we met like totally in passing. Um, you know, Joey Cahill from 6131 is, you know, one of my good friends and I lived at the 6131 house. So I'm fairly certain you guys crashed there multiple times. And I think, you know, <laughs> it was one of those like 1am like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? Hey, how's it going, man? <laughs> and then like you went to sleep. <laughs> so like I think- in the bay, in the bay. Uh, no, down in uh, Orange County, like the 6131 Records house, like down in Huntington Beach, uh... I think. Yeah, which fucked up. I'm maybe I was in the band, maybe I wasn't, but you know, m- my memory is so mushy that I believe that we definitely uh, met at that house. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, I, I don't, I don't blame you. Like I, I think at one point, I think there was a there was a hilarious uh, evening in which we had it's like all three of our roommates invited bands over, so it was like you guys, Alexis on fire. <laughs> And I, there was someone else, and it was like there was like forty people staying in the house, which was ridiculous. But you know, whatever. whoa, that was dumb. But sounds and, like you guys had an interesting living situation. Yeah, well, you know, we were we were definitely the the punk house, but it was like totally in the <laughs> suburbs, so it was like you know very uh, very nice from that perspective. But a nice one. Oh, I'm a fan of the nice punk houses. <laughs> it's, it's the only way to go, man. <laughs> you got some nice nice shower products and everything. <laughs> yeah, the espresso in the morning. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, just to kind of observing you from a distance, you, you've always struck me as the, the sort of person that regardless of what people think uh, from an artistic perspective, you just like to put it out there. Whether or not anybody likes it, you could, I mean, you care to a certain extent, but not to the point that that would obviously curb your creative output. Um, I'm going to guess that's a correct characterization or am I just, uh, you know, <laughs> placing that on you unfairly? Yeah, I definitely, I, I guess... I guess I don't care. Yeah, I don't care enough that I that it's going to stop me from doing what I, I what I want to what I want to do. And like, obviously, I care. You know, I I appreciate when people like it. And like, some you know, if someone says something, you know, I I like negative or something, it's hard not to take personally. You know, I'm a sensitive guy inside as well. But uh, yeah, I just kind of like, I don't know, just like I'm just like trucking along and try not to overthink everything because I kind of I kind of. You know, when, when I see other people overthinking stuff and, you know, it's like, it's, it's sad in a way because there's a lot of, you know, stuff that's never going to see the light of the day because of that. So I try and be aware of that in my, my, my own work and my own self. And also I've, I've been like always tried to, you know, help others through that, you know, whether they're like younger bands or like, you know, just like confused artists in the world of confusing music and fucking Spotify culture and all this shit. Right. So I guess when did you kind of notice that, uh, you know, you, you recognize that in yourself where it's like, okay, I need to turn down that, you know, whatever the outside influence. I mean, cause like you said, no one is immune to it. You always are going to hear certain things about, you know, the way that people think about your art and be like, oh man, that's a bummer. But when did you, I guess, kind of try to put up a little bit of a barrier between that and obviously your output? Um, I guess it started when I was in a hardcore band called No Warning. Like, I'm that's still going, but um, yeah, I kind of always had a, like a bit of like a, like I guess maybe like a confrontational way of dealing with like insecurities as an artist. You know, I've always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because of that band, because of kind of the way it was uh, initially received, especially in America. We were we were kind of doing something that you know so, a lot of people weren't doing. You know. At, for, you know, our generation of like the hardcore scene. And, uh, you know, when we released some of our music, which we, you know, we really, really, you know, thought was, you know, our best efforts. It was, uh, 
And we, we, all, we really believe that it would be, you know, had we not been from Canada or not been from, you know, where we come from, maybe from Boston or another cooler city at the time, um, we thought that we would be been a bit more well received. But when we released our record called Ill Blood, a lot of people, uh, you know, they, they, we had some groove elements in it that, you know, that were that were being confused with like new metal. Um, even though you know we pretty much dropped a new metal album after that one, um, which sucked. But uh, yeah, so like hardcore people were just like, "Man, this is not this is this is whack. Fuck this band." And uh, it, it was about it was around then where I kind of like got my I built a wall around like what people you know started to say around you, started to say um, about your you know your creations and. Uh, you know, it was a bit, I definitely handled it in more of an aggressive way, sometimes more of a, um, you know, like I was a young 17 year old male, you know, so I was like, uh, and, you know, I handled it in a confrontational, aggressive way. Sometimes I would, you know, um, attack first in a way, you know what I mean? So it all, maybe it all stemmed from, from that and having the, uh, you know, having to work a little harder as a Canadian band at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then eventually like, you know, five or five or eight years later, you know, people kind of caught up with that record and, you know, we were able to like eventually play shows, but it wasn't until maybe 15, 20 years later that we actually came back to play shows with that band and kind of saw the actual effect that it, that it did have. And, you know, we had a hard time believing that it did have an effect until we're like, Oh, people like our stuff. Like we don't remember it being that way. Like no one was ever at our shows and, uh, and people were like, yeah, you've influenced a lot of bands and stuff. And we're like, oh, okay, whatever. And then when we came back and started playing these shows about five years ago, we definitely saw um, a completely different vibe. Right. <laughs> well, it, it is interesting because, I mean, I definitely, uh, you know, do remember the interest in No Warning. From, I mean, being from Southern California, there definitely was a lot of people who, you know, jumped on that train. And, you know, to your point of kind of the, the chip on your shoulder, there is that element, especially within the context of punk and hardcore, that if a band is perceived to, you know, uh, rise to the top, you know, quicker than what, you know, the, the quote unquote critics would like, then you, you know, there's that chip on your shoulder as well, where it's just like, well, yeah, we're a hardworking band, but like, you know, we didn't, we didn't just like overnight become a quote unquote hype band, you know, whatever that may mean. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I can see what you're talking about where it's like, oh, wow, I guess, I guess people did like us because, you know, like f- for what our experience was, it, you know, it didn't seem that way. Yeah, it was one of those things where it was like, I, I, I used to call it like the five year factor. And like, you know, it kind of happened with Fucked Up as well. Like Fucked Up, we're playing around for a long time. And like, especially in Toronto, I didn't really have that much of a perception of, of what they were being received like in other places because I wasn't in the band at the time but I, you know I was a big fan of Fucked Up and I, and I would see them play all these really small shows in Toronto and, and you know nobody nobody cared and it was just like so frustrating to watch I'm like wow this band is so amazing and like their records are so cool and like you know and so smart and um, and it really did but it was about it took about five years until like you know people in America kind of started to catch on and then Toronto eventually caught on and uh, it's kind of similar with No Warning, but we didn't have any patience. Fucked up, you know, fucked up still going and fucked up, we were very patient with it and, and you know, worked super hard. Um, no Warning, we just kind of were like, oh, okay, this is what you guys have to say? Okay, we're going to sign to Warner Brothers and fuck all of you and basically almost destroy our careers in music. Right. Yeah. You, well, so we I'll, were like sensitive little shit. Yeah, understood. And I'll, I'll pick up that scab a little bit later, but <laughs> the, what I, you, cause I, there's, you know, a lot of biographical information that'll just kind of, you know, gloss right over it. Cause I think, you know, you've repeated it, uh, you know, a million times in a bunch of different places, but I know, you know, you were born and raised in the, essentially in the Toronto area, right. Or the, the, the lower QEW. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was born in like the East End, which is like pretty much like 10 minutes from the downtown center. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, I know that everyone is always like, oh, dude, you're a child actor. Like, that's so crazy, man. I can't believe you made it out of that. But like, you know, clearly a a child actor in Canada is a lot different than a child actor here in America because, you know, the the pop culture landscape is littered with people who obviously did not, um, you know, (laughs) be able to make it out of that child actor syndrome. Um, And I'm sure... Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I'm sure in retrospect, you're, you're, you're glad that you had that experience because I'm sure it gave you, you know, some level of, of confidence in certain respects. Um, but is it just weird to reflect on that uh, now being like, oh, wow, that was that was a funny experience? It is kind of weird, but, you know, everything reflecting on everything in in your life feels weird. It doesn't really feel weirder than anything else that I've done because I've kind of had like an interesting you know, go at it so far with, you know, all the bands that I've played in, all the traveling, you know, the, uh, the acting, the child acting thing was, it was kind of like a means for me to, you know, make money and afford to do what I really want to do, which was, uh, which was do music and like do this punk stuff for some reason. And my mom wasn't really able to afford to help out with any, you know, recording gear, amps or anything like that. So it kind of like funded that stuff and it, but yeah, it definitely it definitely instilled a um, like a work day on me that you know I wouldn't have experienced until you know later in my teens probably or like you know your mid teens like working like you know when you're like ten or eleven like you're not really like accustomed to working a twelve twelve fourteen hour day you know um, actually no it probably wasn't that long because that would have been illegal for a child right um, <laughs> understood in, in the union. But yeah, it was, you know, eight to 10 hour days. And then, you know, and I, and I do, I do look back on that and definitely value it because I'm not like, you know, I, I've always gone pr- really hard in the studio and like, you know, a 12 hour day in the studio for two weeks straight isn't, I don't, you know, I guess I feel a little burnt at the end, but it's not like, it, I also love being in the studio, but um, yeah, I mean, it helped me, it, it basically helped me b- help my mom buy a house Uh a little bungalow in the East end where I grew up. And then, uh, and then I quit and I kind of regret it because the money is so good. And now as like an older person, you're like, damn, okay. That was, uh, <laughs> yeah. that was pretty, that was pretty nice. Um, but yeah. And, and did uh, you like, you know, when you, cause I, I like you said, you, you know, you, you stepped out of it. Was it really one of those things where it's like, you know, you kind of woke up one day and you're just like, yeah, mom, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, was that a, you know, did you have like a discussion about it? Was that like kind of a, you know, a, a, a long process that you were mulling over or was it pretty much just like, dude, this sucks now. Like I really just want to, you know, play guitar and punk bands or whatever. Yeah. I think it was like, I was kind of mulling it over for a year and I, and I would, I would, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close to my mom, you know, she's a, she's a mom, but she was also, you know, we were also really close, you know, friends and you know i just grew up with my mom and my brother so we were all like pretty tight little team so i would be and, and she was a cool mom you know she was she'd understand you know if i was like i don't want to do this it is so annoying i don't like any of these actors they're corny as hell i'm for some reason a 14 year old into like this punk subculture and getting into it pretty quickly and that's not helping me with all the corny vibes because you know i'm starting to feel like this like angsty youth who needs to rebel against what's going on. So she kind of eventually was just like, you know what, if you don't want to do it, then don't. And I, and I eventually was just like, I'm going to do a few more jobs because I, I know I, I understand the value of like money and, you know, we don't, you know, we're not rich and I, I'm not going to be this little blonde little shit forever. Um, so yeah, it was just, eventually I was just like, you know, I'm done. And I called my agent. I was like, I'm done. I was always obsessed with never not being on the side of a bus for some reason. I was like, I don't want to be on an ad on the side of a bus. Right. That's fun. I I mean, you, that's total, what I like to call kid logic, where it's like you have, there are certain things that are really meaningful to you. And like, you know, when you're whatever, 10, 11, 12, 13, like everything is life or death. And I'm I'm taking the bus. I'm taking the bus every single day. And I'm like, I don't want to be that guy on the bus. It's so, it's lame. Like, look at how it looks. Like, I don't know. I was a little snob even at age 13, 14. <laughs> well, and, but that, I mean, that was clearly important to you because I'm sure, you know, in, in your, the recesses of your mind, you were just like, oh, that would be like, you know, not only am I riding on the bus that my face is on the side of, like, that makes me feel really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the, like, maybe, I, I don't really want to give this to them, but I do think that I was kind of tortured a little bit as a kid, you know, like by other kids. You know what I'm going to talk to you about, right? Band merch. You need to go to rockabilia.com and use the code PC. That's the letter PC 100 words. Of course, the number one zero zero. 
and that will get you 15% off of your order. They are the best officially licensed stuff. They pay the bands, high quality, fast shipping, all of the things that you want from a merch company, they do and deliver in spades. I love what they do and I love the products they offer. They have so many things. I was actually poking around this morning just being like, oh, I wonder if they have some uh, old merch from you know Earth Crisis or whatever. And it's like, oh, boom, they do. And they have so much stuff, over half a million items you can find there from sweatshirts, scarves, whatever it is you need for these winter months. Please go to the website, use the code PC100WORDS, and you will get that 15% discount. As always, thank you, Rockabilia, for your continued support, and you should support them because you need band merch. You got to outfit yourself, right? Back to school after winter break, you'd be like, yo, I got some cool cool band shirts. Boom. There you go. All right? Thank you, Rockabilia. Now here's the rest of the show. Early kid and teenager as well, and I'm, you know, I feel for the kids that I punished, but I was also punished as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every, everyone, everyone gives and takes it in some capacity. Yeah, um, that's the direct, that's the director's cut of that story. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and so you're, I forget your brother older or younger than you. My brother's three years younger than me. Okay. And so, you know, I, I guess it was kind of the, um, you know, usher or gatekeeper as it were in regards to, you know, showing you, uh, you know, kind of like punk and hardcore and starting to, you know, go down that road of independent music. Who was it? Yeah, is that like your, is that your question? Yeah, yeah, like either who it was, was it or um, did you just trip across it? Hmm. Well, no, my best friend Alan, who you know passed away a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, he is responsible for turning me into a guy who is listening to Snow. I don't know if anyone, everyone's familiar Informer. with him. Informer, yeah, yeah. Informer. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I was super into Snow. I was really into Doggy Style, the album, not the position. Um, I don't know about the position yet. Um, this is about grade. This is about grade four. Sure. And I, that those are the two things I loved. I also loved this this uh, rap band called or this rap group called Third Base, uh, and the Dream Warriors, who are from, I believe that's from Toronto. Um, so I was all into that. And um, my friend Alan, my best friend growing up, he was always kind of like the misfit rocker dude, you know, like nerdy in class and just like you know a lot of people picked on him. And, uh, but he was my best friend since I was two years old. So I would, you know, I'd, I'd be standing up for him a little bit here and there, you know, doing as best I could to hold it down for him. And, you know, in return, when we hung out, he was showing me, I guess it was like Nirvana and the Ramones and a little bit of Guns N' Roses, but that's not really that relevant. Um, but yeah, that kind of turned me on to guitar music. And then it was really quickly that turned into finding punk and like, um, the Ramones. And I guess it was the time when Green Day was really starting to, you know, just, I mean, Basket Case had probably just dropped. And, sure. and you know, it was around then. So, like, as soon as that, as soon as I, I witnessed that, it was, I was like, okay, this is my shit. And then I was, I, I remember I was, I was on an acting job. I think maybe I was in grade seven. And uh, I was in, Montreal and I was actually by myself staying in a hotel room really pretty young uh, on this job for three months and the the only thing I really had to do on my time off was I'd go to the uh, HMV or like one of the record stores on St. Catherine um, and I would just I would just sift through the punk tapes and then I kind of just like taught myself a little bit I was like man this looks cool and I was getting like face to face it's all like pop punk and stuff like that and then um yeah, the, the next gateway person was Maddie, Maddie from No Warning, who does a project called James Matthew Seven now, who's you know kind of been my my number one, you know, apart from Alan, you know, he's since passed away, but me, it was always me, Maddie, and Alan as a little uh, as a bunch of little kids, and we were uh, just kind of schooling each other. But Matt really got us into hardcore, and he he was coming from like metal. He was like a twisted metal kid who was like really into horror movies and like you know going into his bedroom. He, you'd feel kind of afraid because there was that many horror posters. Um, sure. But yeah, he was, he was the gateway into, into some of the darker, darker stuff. Sure. Sure. Um, no, I, I like that because it, it, when you do find a group of your friends and you kind of all start ping ponging all these random influences off of one another. Yeah. You usually have like, you know, the pop punk kid, the metal kid, and like, you know, people kind of have their corners, but then all of you kind of pull each other towards the middle where you start to appreciate all, you know, your 
your, your metal friend all of a sudden is like, oh yeah, face to face. Like, yeah, uh, I see where they're coming from. Like they got some solos or whatever. <laughs> yeah, totally. He was super into like, and you know, yeah, it was like that, that time in, in the, in the young, in the young mind where everything sounded cool. And it was like, you know, a cool time to discover things. And, you know, this is, it was like kind of 90 skate culture was booming. Like, you know, the movie kids was out and shit like that. And it was like, you know, hip hop was cool as well. You know, we were getting into that as uh, and all that stuff, you know, like tribe called quest and, and all, and like mom deep and, and shit like that. Um, and we were getting into a lot of stuff through skate videos and I'll admit it aggressive online rollerblading videos as well, which some of us were into. It, it, um, it happened. That was the time and the place, man. <laughs> I'm admitting. I'm admitting that publicly. Yeah, I was uh, into aggressive inlining for about two years in my life. But honestly, some of the, some of those videos had great music. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it was just some good shit. It was just a version of it. It was just a different version of a skate video. Obviously, you know, aggressive yeah. inlining. But yeah, <laughs> I so yeah, it just didn't didn't age as well no 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 i so distinctly remember <laughs> that uh you know i don't know how much of a video game you video game kid you were but they had for the sega genesis they came out with a game called skitchen in which you were uh you'd get on the back of people's bumpers and you would ride and it was like the lamest game and you could tell where it's like oh my gosh like they clearly were obviously trying to capitalize on this and then um but yeah that game did not did not age well just like aggressive online or aggressive inline rollerblading <laughs> I think I remember doing that and I think I remember playing that game. And I also remember doing that a lot in real life. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and so then, you know, as you started to kind of, you know, have this experience of the work ethic that was being instilled with, you know, you being a child actor and then like, you know, I'm sure because you were on these huge jobs, you were getting kind of like schooled on set and like, you know, the, the sort of homeschooling scenario. Yeah, I was homeschooled. I was taken out of school a few, you know, a few a couple of months a year I was taken out of school and I mean the homes homeschooling on set was, a, it was a joke. Like I really didn't have to do that much. You know, I would just be like, can I just not do this? And you can just sign and say I did. And eventually I would kind of charm whatever tutor was on set enough to make it comfortable for me. I didn't really, you know, I didn't fuck with high school at all really or anything beyond past it. Um, but yeah, acting definitely didn't help me. Um, it, it, it definitely helped me, uh, skive off in all the ways that I wanted to. Right. Right. And so, you know, I guess like once the definitive line in the sand was drawn where it's like, okay, music is my thing, obviously not acting anymore. Um, you know, was there any other sort of, uh, I guess, aspirations in regards to like, oh, well maybe I'll, you know, be a, you know, banker, of course, I'm exaggerating. Cause I know that that probably wouldn't be your idea of fun, but, um, you know, was there any other kind of path beyond just like, no, music is what I'm going to do. No. Yeah. It was literally nothing. I, I'm, I'm kind of lucky that I was never, I was only, sorry, I'm just turning my body in a weird way. Um, I'm lucky because I, I, I always knew what I wanted to do and it was always going to be music and nothing was ever going to stop me. And I was a stubborn little guy. And, you know, even when I was 12 and it was only me and Alan and I was, I, I would like, I would, you know, talk to my mom super upset. I'm like, I can't find anyone serious enough to be in a band with me. Everyone just wants to play covers and not write any songs. And she'd be, she'd be like, it's okay, Ben. One day you will find your, your band. And she was right. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's what you're like. And I, I'm sure you also kind of took the, the same sort of discipline that you had in regards to, you know, uh, little league pitching or whatever they call it up in Canada. Do they call it little league in Canada? No, they just call it baseball. Baseball. Okay. But I'm Actually, sure. No, they call it, they call it T-ball. Okay. And then Tyke and then Peewee and then Bantam. Oh, okay. Useless information for you to know. No, I, well, I always what? like, I always like those little delineations. Cause yeah, ge- generically speaking in, in America, they're always, it's like, yeah, you have T-ball, but then it, you pretty much go to little league after that. Like coach pitch or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I was always really envious of, of the, the words little league and how people could use it in other parts of the world. And for some reason, us Canadians weren't using it. I don't know why. I really don't know why. I yeah. want to know actually. Yeah. That is interesting. That, I, 
I want to figure that out. Yeah. So did you take that kind of same discipline of like, you know, I can't not like I'm going to kill all these other bands or whatever, but like, Hey, I'm going to really focus on this. And like, this is going to be my thing. Yeah. I guess it was like a determination from a young age, just whatever I, what I was, whatever I was wanting to do, it was, I wanted to do it super hard. And yeah, it kind of definitely transferred into music. I was like, you know, I had some tragic scenarios in baseball big upsets and then I was like you know what I'm done with this sports thing I'm doing music and kind of just like naturally kept going and I was you know around 15 16 years old and then it wasn't long before I was in a hardcore band and playing downtown like you know clubs where I definitely shouldn't have been sure um and yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah kind of kind of all it kind of picked up pretty quick yeah just in terms of like the hardcore stuff Totally. Yeah. And playing in bands and just getting immersed in the scene and knowing all of the, you know, kind of places to play and then, Oh, Hey, maybe we should record a demo and seven inch and all that other stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, we were, it was kind of the dawn of the internet as well. It was like, you know, 14, four modems and stuff and like, you know, the dawn of message board cultures as well. So it was like, we were, we were able to dive into all of that, like at the perfect age of like 15, 16, and we really just started networking with other people, other like DIY promoters who, know turned out to be members of fucked up who i you know have been playing in bands with abandoned now for 15 years right so yes it's been pretty cool in a world where everyone is confined to their homes society begins its largest bin watch to date in the hallowed library of hulu or perhaps on a shelf of dvds you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Soundrink.com. Go to that website because... Let's face it, we've been to so many flipping shows, right? Like you've probably been to at least 100 past the past year, right? Maybe, maybe a little bit less, but I know that when I am desiring something, you know, a little bit more, like a VIP experience where you're talking about like, okay, maybe I get to have coffee with my favorite band, or maybe I get to play, uh, you know, Monopoly, or maybe I get to see a rad Q&A acoustic session where they talk about their songwriting process. All of these things are available on soundrink.com. They are the best VIP ticketing company in the business as far as I'm concerned because what they do is they work directly with the management and the bands in order to craft these experiences. Like it isn't some sort of cookie cutter, all right, here's a VIP experience. We're going to charge like $3 more for this really, really lame experience. No, that is not what they do. Soundrink, like I said, dedicates themselves to making sure that these experiences are rad and they're worth the money that they are charging because last thing you want to do is feel ripped off by a band that's charging you to do something that you're like, oh, that really wasn't worth that extra money that I paid for it. So soundrink.com, check out all of your local tour dates and you will be able to find rad VIP packages all over the country for whatever tour it is that you are looking to participate in. So thank you for your continued support, Soundrink, and keep those live show VIP experiences coming. All right, now here's the rest of the show. And as you started to kind of get out there and, you know, do, uh, you know, limited touring, whether it was like hopping across the border and playing in Buffalo and stuff like that, or, you know, going up to Montreal, um, did you, I guess, enjoy the experience of tour? Um, or was that something that you kind of had to, um, you know, grow accustomed to? I always really liked touring and traveling. Like my dad, my dad was a trucker. I didn't really like, hang. I didn't really hang with him too hard growing up or anything, but I did, I did go on the odd trips with, with him as a, uh, as a sketchy trucker. So I always kind of was fond of long trips and sleeping in cars and kind of like, you know, not really knowing where you are when you wake up. So I, I always, I always kind of remember those trips even now when I'm doing, when I'm, when I'm touring. 
Yeah, it, w- it wasn't really until I started touring with Fucked Up. No disrespect to Fucked Up, obviously. Like, they would say the same thing. But, you know, there, there's certain people in the band and certain dynamics in that band that, that made touring a little uh, tense. Sure. So, uh, I, I, uh, in my mind, I, I was like, man, I, I hate touring now. Like, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't blaming them. I, I, I just thought in my mind that I, that I really didn't like it. And uh, eventually, I kind of just snapped out of it. I was like, you know what? Like, I mean, also the band and our, our, our dynamics grew up a lot. And, you know, people got a little bit more chill with each other. And, uh, you know, myself included, you know, I, I became more accepting of things and uh, kind of just snapped out of it eventually. And, you know, the, the past 10 years, I've, it, I've really taken to touring again and using it as kind of like this, you know, vehicle to keep my life interesting and, you know, end up in, you know, a cool place and stay there for a while and just kind of like not really take it for granted or, or be like a grouch about things. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at still. Sure. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Cause I mean, as you tour and you kind of go through those ebbs and flows of, you know, not only from an age perspective, but then, you know, if you play, you know, a bunch of terrible shows in a row, then you're just like, what am I doing here? Like I'm spinning my wheels. And so, yeah, your, your opinion of tour evolves just like most people do. And some people don't ever consider that, you know, <laughs> some people are just like, Oh yeah, touring is awesome. Cause you get to see different cities all the time. You're like, well, I get to see four blocks in a city. That's, I don't really get to see the city per se. Yeah. It's obviously not as glamorous as, as some people make it out to be, but I, I don't know. I think the reality of touring is pretty well known at this point. You know, it's not all like, it, you know, it's obvious what happens. Everyone knows a musician at this point who's, who's done a tour. It's uh, it, it, it is what it is. You know, it, you can make it work for yourself or you can, you can't. So, um, I'm glad I'm still able to do it. And it really does. The people around you, you know, you can play like small shows, you know, I can play like really big shows with fucked up or no warning or play like, you know, really small shows with young gov or something like that. And it really just, it's, it really, the people who you're with obviously affect the touring the most. And, uh, it's important to, you know, continue to work on that and like, because it can get really bad out there, you know. Totally, totally. Um, but it can also become really good. Yeah, it, it can flip on a dime pretty quickly. <laughs> exactly. Um, like uh, you were mentioning earlier, in regards to you know no warning and the huge uh, zag you guys took when you know you were signing the Lincoln Parks label and you know doing uh, you know Project Revolution tour and all that stuff. Like you know, it was. Um, it was interesting to watch from a, you know, outsider's perspective to see the fact that it's like, to me, I just looked at it from the perspective where you were like, okay, well, we had done everything that we, I guess, theoretically could do within the context of hardcore. And it led us down this path of these opportunities that don't come to many bands, you know, like, it's not like, mm-hmm. uh, it's not like other bands got afforded that opportunity. I mean, yes, to varying degrees and different situations, but, um, it, to me, it just looked like you guys were just writing this for what it was. Um, I'm going to guess it was kind of a mixture of that thought and then the thought of like, all right, well, screw screw the hardcore scene because they've been hating on us forever or whatever, all those other reasons we were talking about originally. Um, was that kind of correct that you guys were just like, all right, let's ride, let's ride this coattail and see where it goes? Yeah, we were just kind of going with the flow and, you know, we didn't, it, it was, it was before the time that, you know, you could, you could, book a tour super easily online or something like that. You know, there were like, there were challenges for, for all of us as a young, as young financial challenges as young people to, um, get ourselves, you know, over to Europe or even to the West coast. You know, we never, we never did that as a, as a quote unquote hardcore band until, you know, this, these reunion years. Um, so, you know, having these, people, whether they had good intentions or not, or, you know, whether all of them were good or only some of them were good promising us, you know, X amount of money. And, you know, you guys can, you guys want to be musicians for your, for a living? Like, this is it. And we're like, well, yeah, we do. Like, and that's what I always wanted to do. And, you know, we were young enough that we were just like, fuck it, let's just do this. And like, you know, if, if it fails, we're still like, you know, we can do something else. We're still, we can, we can, we can try again with something else. And, uh, but yeah, it was kind of a, it was a little bit of an, of, of riding on that angst towards people not 
liking our, our first record right away, which was kind of a huge bummer because we thought it was, it was good. Um, I mean, we didn't think we were like fucking geniuses or anything, but we were like, man, this, this, we worked really hard. And, oh shit. Okay. Well, fuck <laughs> off. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So it was a little bit of all that. Sure. I'm, I'm sure that there is one or two anecdotal moments as you guys were kind of, you know, wrapped up in a much larger, um, you know, scene because you were all of a sudden surrounded by people who, you know, liked your band that didn't have necessarily the attachment that, you know, maybe you or I do to the punk and hardcore scene. You know, do you have any sort of anecdotal moments in your head where it was just like, whoa, this is really weird that we're in the same room with these people or, you know, that you got to do the Project Revolution tour? Um, I'm sure that there's a moment or two that make you kind of, you know, laugh, not because you're making fun of it, but just like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, I mean, all those, all the opportunities that we got during those years were just were weird and like, you know, surreal. Like, I, I think, I think the most, the craziest thing that was that was that was going down was that we were actually like charting in Japan <laughs> over Fifty Cent, and like we were, we were like, Japan's a strange place, you know. We we went there and we were, we were like, people fans were meeting us at the airports, like they were like waiting in the hotel lobbies, they were waiting at the trains. Like we were like these like like these little stars all of a sudden as soon as we la- landed and it was really surreal you know and we were there for two weeks we went back a couple times and uh, you know but other than that it was you know just a, f- a few of these massive rock tours like the Project Revolution tour with like Lincoln Park I mean we were just like that was an outdoor tour for like two months and we were like twenty year old kids going insane doing like you know, going to the Heineken tent every night and just like being dicks. Right. You know? <laughs> um, so that, that's kind of the general memory of, of those, uh, of the American side of everything, you know, for the most part, like our plan to cross over from hardcore into wherever we were trying to go with it completely failed. And like, uh, like laughably almost, which is kind of what makes it so, funny to like you know look back on or like sweet in a way um like we didn't even get close to any sort of record sales or anything like that these you know big record people thought that we might get to you know and we were like well okay sorry you spent all this money we tried we tried yeah we're gonna just uh we're just gonna break up now and you know secretly do another band (laughs) Um, no big deal yeah, but there there was there was a tour with Papa Roach that we did where we were all in a bus, and that was the only ever only time we were ever in a bus, and that was just a very that was a very special and strange tour because we were on we were sharing a bus with their road crew, who also happened to be Motorhead's road crew, um, and we're like twenty one year old Canadian little boys and like sharing a, a bus with, you know what, some of them were crackheads. Totally. And, uh, yeah, so we were put in this situation that not everyone gets to vibe with. And, uh, you know, we made it out alive, obviously, and it was fun and everything was... There, there were some gnarly moments on that tour, you know, some with, with older men who were not used to sharing a bus with us. Children, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally, yeah. It's like, we're, we're, what, are, what are these children doing here? Like, we're, we're weathered road veterans that just want to do our do our stuff and not be bothered by these, you know, these, these again, children. Yeah, we just want to score crack on the corner in Chicago and do it in the back of the bus. Like, why are all these kids around? Totally. Um, so, yeah, that was like, that was an interesting vibe. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that tour, I, I got to say. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it uh, opened up your eyes in many different ways. Um, for sure with, uh, you know, specifically with fucked up, it's always been interesting because the way that almost every single member has uh, spoken about the creation of the music in the band is that it's a real, um, it's a real piece of work, you know, like this is definitely not like, Hey, let's just hang out for a weekend and, you know, we'll crank out our records and granted, of course, the music that you guys do create is very, um, you know, layered and there's a lot going on there beyond just, you know, a two minute punk song clearly. Um, Mm -hmm. do you, um, you know, is it one of those things that because uh, of the finished product that all of the work that you put into it, you're just like, Oh yeah, man, like that sucked and it was hard, but like, I'm glad we did it this way. Um, just because I guess we know no other way to do it or, you know, what's your perspective on that? 
Um, yeah, I guess it's that. Like we would, we would do it. The when I when I was really there were there was about two records that I, the whole band was. You know, when I joined, the whole band was was really involved in. You know, these last couple records, it's been a little bit more Mike and Jonah, especially the last one. Um, but yeah, we were really making that the the way of you know, a band would do it like a punk band would do it. Like we were, we, we were for David, the record, David comes to life. Like we were in a practice space writing songs together, you know, in a tense manner, kind of sometimes uh, as it is with fucked up. I, I say that, I, I hope I don't sound like I'm, I'm being disrespectful or anything to my, to my fucked up family, but you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, we would be in that we would be in that little tiny box for six months writing a, an album, and then I don't know. It's so disjointed and weird, like how the band works. So like my my memories of like studio and you know just like going in when it's just me and I do my stuff and like no one's in the studio together, um, and then the record comes out and it's taken so long because it's such a a, a massive you know piece that you're like, wow, like we really did that. <laughs> sure. I don't really remember it at all, but we've made something really cool. Whoa. And then, you know, you move on and you forget about it and you do it again. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, I'm not sure if I'm, an, I'm no, not sure no. if I'm answering your question. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of like the fucked up, the fucked up way. <clears throat> Yeah, no, you to, you are. I mean, I, it makes total sense too, especially when you know now the where the band exists. That you know, you guys are all kind of like piecing this together. You know, as you obviously all have individual time and stuff like that, and it totally makes sense. Where you're like, all right, well, I did my part, and hopefully this all co- goes together, okay? Yeah, someone's yeah. going to string it. Someone's going to string it together in the end, and yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then that's not that. going to be me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and. and Clearly, since you were, you know, um, you know, bouncing around to all of these different, you know, musical projects beyond, you know, just just fucked up and no warning, um, you know, and you've kind of built your life around the idea of pursuing music. Um, is it one of those things like, you know, as you kind of came home from tour, and you know, you had a couple hundred bucks that, you know, lasted you for, you know, whatever, a couple of weeks. Did you just like pick up random jobs in between tours? Like, you know, what, what were you kind of doing to, you know, I guess, keep yourself afloat? Um, during... I've had odd jobs between tours. I've had uh, the the couple of years between No Warning and Fucked Up where I was just kind of like, maybe music sucks and I don't even want to do this. I'm just going to like work a normal job. Fuck bands, you know, like I was in that stage. Um, I was like 25, I think. Like um, I, I managed a, like a boutique tea company where I would make all the teas, kind of a very fancy tea company, but, but run out of a, um, like the first floor of a, like a low income housing, um, project basically. Um, so I would make all these teas and I would fulfill the, I would, I would, I would fill all the orders and I would deliver them to all these really, really expensive, um, fancy restaurants in Toronto. I did that for about two years and just listened to tapes. And then an email came, um, after I'd done a tour with, um, fucked up in the UK, kind of just as a, as a roadie slash friend. And, um, they were like, you want to join the band on third guitar? We're trying to like take this a little bit more seriously. And I'm like, yeah, T's not for me. I'll come back to music. <laughs> and, um, otherwise I've kind of like, you know, acting like being in the, be, being an act, having the union membership as an actor and kind of reinstating myself in that over, over the years, um, in between fucked up tours sometime, you know, sometimes in like the early days of when I was in that band, I would do a background extra work for like kind of union dollars. So it would be kind of like a, a profitable way of just sitting around and reading a book and eating for free sure. and barely doing anything. So yeah, I would, I would do that. Otherwise, you know, I've just kind of like figured out how to hustle music in various ways. And sure, you know, I've been lucky. I've been lucky because I know a lot of, you know, a lot of my friends, are musicians and they they're not in the same position or you know they have to you know do illegal things or you know just it's it's, it's tough to be tough to make money as a musician obviously sure sure 
yeah, well, no, it's just the the hustle of being like, oh yeah, let's let's try to piece this together in some capacity that it will be able to give me the freedom to not only obviously write music, but then to be able to you know leave for tour when I need to and stuff like that. So makes total sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, I live in New York now, and like I'm 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 doing you know the odd thing outside of music as well, um, just to be able to kind of you know continue to lead my life in an interesting way that continues to inspire me to be able to create for right. you know sure and, and you've done I, I know you've done some uh like you know co-writing you know stuff as well with other musicians which i know is always such a interesting scenario just because uh you know like you i've had a lot of different friends that have been thrown into rooms with like hey you know i mean like whatever i just remember hearing stories from like you know dallas from uh, city and color Lexus on fire and just being like hey go to this room with this person and it's like you know oh we got three days to write a couple songs and usually the first day is like just trying to break the ice of not being weird and stuff like that what's your experience been with that um i've always done really like kind of like you know, quick sessions. They haven't really been, you know, sit in this room for three days with this person, luckily, because sometimes you don't gel with the person or like them at all. Um, so I've really just come in and out of these sessions. Maybe they're like, you know, five to eight hours and I'll just offer whatever I can at the time. You know, it, it's, it's worked out sometimes and sometimes it hasn't. You know, I did, I did some stuff with some 41 back in the day and I kind of just rolled in. They're like, we want this. We want it to sound like this. I'm like, all right, here's the riff. Here's the whole song, except the chorus. And I was just like, in my mind, I was like, this is horrible. Like, I, I can't believe I'm doing this, like, but it's for them. So I don't care. Um, no disrespect to them, but you know, like it's different writing for other people. You know, I wouldn't, I've kept it for myself, but it seemed like a good idea at the time for some 41 and actually became a successful song. Um, but yeah, it was kind of just like that. Just like, just, just guessing. It's just a guessing game. Um, I had another experience with a, with a little, like kind of a, another Canadian pop punky thing where I won't say who the person is, but I really didn't like them. They were really annoying. It was this dude just really full of himself. Um, he kept making farting noises with his mouth, like really like, like, like really cliche pop punk, you know, like he actually was like showing me his butt and like doing farting noises with his mouth. And I'm like, man, you're like a blink 182 song, like literally in the flesh. Um, and I would just, I, I think I just, I jacked an Eagles melody over the, uh, over, over a chorus that they had. And then I was just like, use that. And I was just like, I gotta go. And I just left and I ended up using it. Um, but my favorite thing, my favorite co-writing vibes is more just like with people who aren't necessarily like established artists. They're just actually just wanting to create a really good song. And like, I actually believe in them and whether they, you know, are successful or not, it's just a pleasure to work with them. You know, I just did a track with a person from New York, an artist called Sedona. She literally just found me, hit me and my friend Anthony up who helps me produce um, the Young Gov stuff. And she's like, Hey, I like some of the songs you guys have written. Do you guys want to uh, write a song with me? And we were like, you know what? That's sick. Yeah, we do. And you know, it wasn't for money. It was for fun. And we were able to write this kind of like boogie pop Madonna song for her called more love. And uh, that's kind of my vibe. You know, I, I'm like, I'm not trying to like bash down the doors of like modern pop because like, I can't stomach it all. You know, it's so like, everything just sounds like, uh, like a latte. It's just so like, I guess you could use the term gentrified. Sure. It's very vanilla. It's like, yeah, super vanilla. Everything sounds like an algorithm. And it's just like, there was, there was a point where I was like really stoked. I was like, I want to write this song. You know, I want to, I love this. I like, you know, in sync or like, you know, even Katy Perry or some shit. I'm like, man, this is like a power pop song. This is like, this is a pretty cool song. Like I would love to just like sit in a room with someone and like write something like that sounded like this. But now it's like, I can't really stomach a lot of the stuff. So I'm just like, I'm not, I'm just doing stuff for fun at this, this point. Right. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to sign some big publishing deal and be like, all right, we got, I got to, I got to write with 12 people this year that are all going to be things that I most likely won't like. <laughs> I mean, I would do that if it was a big publishing deal, just cause of like that, like that's, that's a, uh, that's the kind of scammer that I am, but sure. <laughs> that's the I angle you like to work. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would try and make it work, and I would try my best not to make it sound like some like you know three note algorithm pop shit with like a trap beat. I would try and bring in some sort of cool, you know, angle on it. I don't know. There's there's hope. There's hope. I'm not losing hope completely. I still want to do that stuff. It's fun. Yeah. No, I feel you. I feel you. Um, last thing I kind of want to hit on was the, um, you know, most people that uh, look at, you know, young Gov and are just like, Oh man, it's so crazy that this hardcore dude is doing this, like, you know, R and B rap influence stuff. Like, you know, almost every single piece of press about that since he started putting out music is some version of that. Um, which is, you know, I always find comical because usually people that are putting out, especially when you're an adult, people that are sometimes putting out, uh, music, it's not reflective of either what they listen to, but when you're an adult, you're like, Oh no, I actually want to put this thing out. You know, it's like some people have been playing in their pop punk band for 20 years. And of course they're not going to start rapping over that. Cause that would bum, you know, every newfound glory fan out or whatever, you know, it's not like they can, they can start doing that. Um, yeah. Is it one of those things where you basically are, are just kind of revel in that fact where it's like, Oh man, I love, I love subverting what people may think that I am doing. And then on top of it, this is something that I actually really enjoy as well. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to be sneaky. It's fun to like, you know, just like sneak something in there. And I, I don't, I don't actually know what you're referencing when you say rap and R and B. Cause I don't think I've ever really done that personally. It's kind of real. People say that, People think that the Young Gov project is like a SoundCloud rap because right, right. it has the word word young in it. Right. Um, you know, like young, young lean and young thug and all that stuff, but it's actually not that at all. But um yeah, I like being I like you know, just I like the Young Gov project because I can just I, I don't I still don't I still don't care uh, like what people think about it you know i i can do like i dropped a, a weird you know computer record and i just dropped a double a 19 song you know big chord power pop album and who knows what the next one's going to be and like i like it because i don't have a plan i'm not trying to have a plan with it and i never really was it was never about you know i, ha- I had i had bands that were able to you know help contribute towards my rent and, and young gov was always just like something that wasn't about that. And I'm still trying to keep it that way. You know, if it ever became something that, it, you know, if it ever was a profitable project, that would be nice, but it's right. not my goal with it, you know? And it, it makes sense because, you know, if, if you're this kind of, um, sneaky or like, you know, ADD or just like, you know, doing whatever you want with the project. Like, you know, it's going to, it's going to be confusing for, you know, an audience that's big enough to, um, you know, it's, I don't think it'll ever grow past what it really is supposed to be, which is just a small little personal thing that is like, you know, hopefully, you know, a meaningful listen. Sure. No, totally. I mean, I, I think that's, yeah, it's a, it's a very fair characteristic of, because I mean, most people expect a certain thing to reach a certain level of success from the outside, you know, not the person that's actually creating it. And then like, once it gets to kind of a, you know, manageable level for the artist or the person putting out the creative thing, then it's kind of like, oh yeah, like I'm fine with it staying here because it coexists with all of the other things that I do perfectly. I don't need to make it bigger because I need to make this thing like my whole life, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, fuck, I'm financial. I'm not saying I'm rich or like financially comfortable. Like it would be amazing with, with my other, with my other bands, but you know, they are, they are, they're just, they're just bigger, bigger projects. And like, it'll, it, I'm blessed because it allows me the freedom to kind of just like, you know, navigate, navigate young gov with young, with the young gov project a little more freely. Um, and yeah, it, it's just a weird time with like, you know, everything's views and numbers and stuff like that. And like, I was doing this project before views and numbers existed and it's never going to be about that, you know? And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that it, that I don't have to consider that as much as than as other people, you know, cause I know it's a, 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 so much pressure to just like, you know, put your music out and hit right away or blow up or like be some like, you know, whatever, you know, some cloud shit. Um, and, uh, that's not what this is. Right. Yeah. This is the, this is your personal project and you can, 
take it in any direction you want musically where it's like, yeah, it, it all, you know, it falls under the, you know, guitar based thing, but you know, you can do whatever you want with it and bring whoever collaborators you want on and, you know, just guide it at its own pace as like you said, as opposed to, you know, trying to accelerate it because you need to capture some modicum of success. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like, you know, it's young of AKA dumb songs from Ben forever. Right. That's good. Well, it, it, should that be the title of like most of your projects, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's a, it all feels pretty stupid at some point, but you know, for some reason I keep going. Well, I just, I mean, I like it and it's weird too, because there's always this, this, um, you know, if you're involved with the project, like, you know, I remember when Marvelous Starlings obviously started to release some seven inches. It was like, Oh dude, it's Ben from no warnings, like garage, garage band. And like, everything is always attached to, you know, the particular style, which of course that is a very uh, gross oversimplification of what Marvelous Starlings were doing. But, um, you know, everybody there, there's this like aura of mystique where it's like, Oh dude, Ben, Ben's throwing the baby with the, out with the bathwater again. He's starting something completely new and it's going to blow your hair back or whatever. You know, it's just, I just find it interesting that there's this like, um, enigma about you where it's like, what's Ben going to do next? Yeah. It's pretty cringe sometimes to read. Like, you know, I, yeah, I, I guess it's that. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I, I guess that's, that's cool. I don't know. I, when I read stuff when, I don't know, it's just like, I really try not to read what anyone writes or anything like, you know, and, and, and it's always going to be Ben from no warning or Ben from fucked ups, like a young gov project. And I understand like they need to like writers need to like follow a certain formula and say, it sounds like what they think it sounds like. I, I just like, it's just so boring, but I, I guess it's cause it's such like, at this point, it's such a low-paying kind of like um, low-paying, kind of not really like popular form of media anymore that they just hire people who don't really like aren't going to be like necessarily a a cool critic of culture. I guess you would say, you know, sure, Which just explains like why like hanging fruit. Yeah, which explains why, like, everything, every time I release something, they just like the writing and the press just gets just more cringe. I'm not <laughs> trying to sound like a dick. I'm not trying to sound like no, a dick no, or no. anything. I appreciate people listening, but it's just like, that's just my take on it, you know? Like, people can, you know, review my record and that's cool, but, you know, that's my review on the current state of music journalism. It's like, it's horrid. Right. Well, especially too, where most of the times, I mean, from my past experience and dabbling in, you know, journalism, because I, I definitely don't view this podcast as journalism, <laughs> is the, you know, a lot of times people just get emailed a list of like, hey, here's 20 artists that we're covering. Like, do you want to write a piece on this? And, you know, maybe like three artists gets picked and then there's 17 others that get assigned. And then, yeah, you're left with kind of the, oh, this guy was in No Warning and a band called Effed Up. And then, yeah, you just get yeah. the lowest hanging fruit like you were talking about. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it is what it is. It's not, it's not something to like, you know, no. talk too much about or be too negative about. It's just like, I'm kind of just chirping my mouth off at this point. But <laughs> it feels good. It feels good to get it off my chest in a, in a, in a, in a different uh, medium. So yeah. Thank you for that. That's, it's my pleasure, Ben. <laughs> well, it's because I, I'll say this because it's because this is me being a, having a chip on my shoulder still as a 35 year old man. Um, <laughs> I read this article where someone compared the new young gov to foster the people or something. Oh. And I was just like, I was like, of course this comes from Canada. Like, I'm like, why did I'm like this? I'm like, these are fighting words, dude. Like, are you <laughs> kidding me? Totally. Like, you're like, uh, let, fuck let, that man. Yeah. Let me tell you what influence yeah. is not worn on my sleeve. Foster the people. <laughs> Yeah, it's just hilarious. It's just like, wow, that couldn't be like worse. Like, damn, like, yeah. I don't know. Foster the people meets chainsmokers. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was just like, shit, man. Like, you're missing the low. point. Yeah, you're missing the point, dude. <sighs> yeah. You got paid to compare me to foster the people? Like, that's pretty sick. Like, man, I wish I had that job. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, you're like, let me, let me see if I can uh, scam that angle. <laughs> oh, hell no. Uh, I hell couldn't no. do that. No, no, no. Way. I would not be able to vibe. Yeah. Well, Ben, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. I really appreciate you walking me through all this, uh, this, this random stuff in your memory banks, but yeah, this has been fun. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been really cool. Oh boy. 
Ben, just a just a treat, right? Love to hear his perspective. Love the the takes that he had, and uh, it was just yeah. I, I, it's always nice when you have a certain, I guess, thought process about how a person is going to be, and then they come on the show, and it's like, oh, they've confirmed it, and they also are even better than I thought they were going to be. And Ben was exactly that. I knew that the chat was going to be rad, and then he defied my expectation, or not even defy, I guess, correlated my expectations. But anyways, next week, I have Daniel Austin. He is a vocalist from a band called Die Young. He's also a published author, a poet, a vegan powerlifting impresario. He is a man of many, many talents, and I've known him for a long time, and I wanted to have him on the show because he is a guy that is very focused and disciplined and uh, just has an interesting experience traveling in a lot of different worlds. And he also worked for PETA for a long time doing uh, some animal rights advocacy. And uh, yeah, so that's what we got next week, okay? Please be safe, everybody. Hey, Miles. Yes. It's Jack from work. Yes, hi. Did you know that we host a daily news and culture podcast where people can I go to get caught up know. on what is yes. happening? Are you yes, are you confused about that? You're talking about the Daily Zeitgeist show that we do I just to make sure you knew and that everybody knew that you could listen to us every day, twice a day, talk about what is happening and they could learn everything without feeling the life drain from their soul. Yeah, I think at the Daily Zeitgeist, we like to give people a balance of just enough news that they feel informed and just enough laughs that they're not overwhelmed and can have a decent day after listening. So guys, listen to the Daily Zeitgeist on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free.